0: There are things in this world that people love or hate. There's some things that people are okay with either way, but there's a few things in this world that people love or hate. Um, I I, I find cats to be one of those things. People either love cats or they can't stand them. Uh, I also find moxie to be one of those things. How how many of you like moxie? You love moxie? Wow, uh, it looks like an overwhelming majority. How many of you... you hate it. You don't want. You don't want it. You can't stand it. Okay, it's a little minority here. Wow. Okay. All right. I'm on the side that loves it, and probably part of that is because I don't have the taste buds that I used to. Um, maybe I don't know what happened to, it, but I don't have the taste that I used to. But Moxie's one of those things. Uh, you either love it or you hate it. And uh, from what I understand, those who dislike it, those who don't like it. Are people who have said that it has a uh, uh, they don't like the aftertaste? So those of you who don't like it is that, would you agree with that or you don't like it going in either? <laughs> uh, the aftertaste, from what I understand is, is what drives people away. <clears throat> and in Proverbs chapter 5, uh, the, the writer of Proverbs Solomon writing to his son, says that infidelity in marriage, <laughs> The beckonings of a relationship that is pursued outside of marriage that is inappropriate might go in sweet, but it will go down bitter. It will go down bitter. And in Proverbs chapter 5, Solomon basically says to his son, Son, it is time for the talk. It is time for the talk. You and I are walking in a world of sexual insanity. Uh, a world that uh, lives uh, for, for just the, the temporary pleasures. And the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, takes the gift that God has given us and says, Yes, find pleasure in it, but guard your heart. Guard your heart. Use it in the proper setting. We began this series several weeks ago, so just to catch you up to speed since it's been several weeks. We started with uh, marriage and Eden. Marriage and Eden. Look in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. At God's purpose for marriage, in Genesis chapter 2 specifically, uh, that the two shall be one flesh. They shall leave father and mother and shall cleave to one another. The two shall be one flesh. Then the next week we looked at, at uh, marriage and exile. That in Genesis chapter 3, things didn't go according to plan. And so, God, in His grace, despite man's sin, provides a Redeemer in order to uh, 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 renew marriage to what it should be. And this morning, I want to talk about marriage in the 30, marriage and exclusiveness. Marriage and exclusiveness. And the subtitle here would be The Joy of Covenant Faithfulness. The Joy of Covenant Faithfulness. Let me break down the chapter here so you understand the context. And verses 1 through 5. You have a warning to avoid the adulteress with a single-minded faithfulness, a focus on the teaching, on the instruction. You'll see uh, 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 here in the in the text here the idea of, of 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 one who is beckoning this young man away from a single-minded focus on the instruction of faithfulness with words with with flattery. In verses two through three, uh, you have a a uh, a, 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 a individual described as a strange woman who is, uh, who is trying to reel in this man uh, through uh, him listening to her, through him uh, living uh, and being with her, and through him uh, uh, staying with her. And in verses 2 through 3, you have instruction given, instruction that says, No, listen to the instruction of God, live out the truth, and then leave it to the generation uh, to come. In verses 3 through 6, you have the description that the end of this kind of lifestyle is bitter. It leads to the grave. And this whole lifestyle is fake. It is not the real thing. The real thing is what God has designed. And Satan loves to hide the hook in the bait, doesn't he? He loves to hide the hook. He puts the bait out there, and and the bait looks so good, but the hook is always inside of the bait. And that's what the writer... of of Proverbs chapter 5 is reminding me, verse 1 through 6 The verse 7 through 14. He expounds more on that and says, Don't give what is your gift to others. He's saying, uh, Get this. This is important. He says, uh, Don't look and listen to her. Look and listen to the Creator and His instruction the design for you. Because if you don't, you will lose what is really valuable. It never pays, it only costs, and it causes shame and destruction. He says to, to, to not love foolishness. He says to love wisdom. And when we love foolishness and not God's wisdom, we are rejecting God's gifts of life. And in verses 7-14, through 14, he says this is a fool's path. A fool's path. Look at verse 8. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. Alright, and as I mentioned, he's speaking specifically to his son, young men. So that's why it's, uh, it's framed this way. Uh, that's why he describes um, the, the, the problem of the, of the, of the strange woman, the, the, the woman who wants to seduce him. And then verse 15 through 23, which is our focus here this morning, he talks about the joy of covenant faithfulness. And let me read these verses again. Drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of water in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice to the wife of thy youth. Let her be as a loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? And by the way, parents... Because God, through Solomon, says to his son it's time for the talk. This is a reminder to all of us as parents that you need to have this conversation too. You need to have this conversation with your children as well. And if you don't, somebody else will. And your children and all of us are always being discipled by something. We're always being taught and always learning from somebody or something. And it best be instruction from a godly parent than instruction from Elsewhere, So verses 15 to 23, the joy of covenant faithfulness. You might have noticed as I read that section there, uh, pictures of water. Water in the Middle East, as you probably would know, is a very precious commodity. Very precious commodity. Um, uh, And to have a well or a cistern or a water storage tank was something that was really important for survival there. Um, the, The words he uses that describe... Water, uh, the, the connected with water here are the cistern, the water storage tank, a well, a fountain, a stream. And here's what he's saying in these verses. This is an invitation and really a prayer. This is really a prayer of blessing for covenant faithfulness for Solomon's son. It's an invitation to drink of wisdom. And the wisdom in this particular section being the joy of covenant faithfulness. In this passage, in verses 15 through 23, the well, the figurative language, the well, the, the fountain, the cistern, the stream is your spouse, is your spouse. And the waters is your marriage relationship." In other words, the waters of your marriage relationship are to be reserved and enjoyed and celebrated and lived and fought only with your wife, only with your spouse. See verse 19. Let her be as a loving hind and pleasant row. Let her, your spouse, let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. The waters is your marriage relationship and this is to be enjoyed with the one who you have vowed and committed your life to alone. So Solomon is simply telling his son to be faithful to his wife. Whether that would be a future spouse or whether he was married already, we're not sure. But he is saying, practice faithfulness and commitment with joy. Because on the flip side, infidelity, wandering eyes will destroy. Faithfulness to your spouse will bring joy. When we walk in God's ways, there is joy. When we walk in our own selfish ways and our wrong desires, it never, it never delivers what it promises it leads to destruction. It leads to broken hearts. And so, in this section here, what he is saying is this particularly talking about the, the, the part of the marriage relationship that is reserved for marriage between a man and woman committed to each other in marriage. He's saying that the sexual relationship is like fire. In your house, you might have a wood stove or a fireplace, and that is a great place for the fire. But if you take that fire and you just put it in your living room on your carpet, it becomes a dangerous thing. So in the fireplace, fire keeps us warm. Outside the fireplace, it burns the house down and it is dangerous. So keep the fire in the fireplace is another way to say what he's saying in this passage. Husband and wife, in other words, fill and refresh one another. You know we have these uh, phones that we carry around that can do very sophisticated things. Um, someone can control your thermostat when you're in another part of the world through your through the internet. Uh, they're highly sophisticated tech- technology. But if you use your phone, if you use your iPhone to hammer nails, you have misused the phone and you will destroy that iPhone. And. Uh, because it is not designed to do that, and whenever we violate God's—by the way, if you didn't know that—and that's just a little free information there. Um, whenever we violate God's purpose of a gift and misuse that, there is flashing yellow and red lights of danger. But listen, sometimes Christians have gone the other way and put taboos on something that God has said is to be enjoyed in the proper context. God's gifts rightly used and exercised in their right place have God, listen, have God raising His arms, God the Father raising His arms and blessing over you. Hebrews 13 says, marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. God is, looks at that and says that is honorable in the proper context here. And in verses 15 and 16, uh, where He he tells them to exercise this, in verse 18, He says, Let thy fountain be blessed. You have the blessing of God Himself over this relationship. And this particular blessing on this gift looks like a bubbling spring. And you cherish what you have committed to that spouse that God has brought you to. Which leads us in this passage to make a couple very obvious and clear points. Wives, you are the only legitimate woman for your husband's love and affection. Husbands, and I'm obviously talking about the level of marriage love here, husbands, your wife is the only legitimate woman reserved for your personal married love and affection and she is divinely approved of for your life. She will always be the wife of your youth. No matter how many years you've been married, here in this passage, Solomon says, Rejoice with the wife of thy youth. She will always be the wife of your youth. And you are to pour out your love on her in quality. Notice he says, he talks about delights. Uh, ravish. He talks about um, uh, 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 affection. Uh, that word, uh, ravish, in verse nineteen is the idea used in other passage of being intoxicated. We were seeing a drunk walking down the street. It was in Staten Island uh, a couple weeks ago, and we went to uh, Ralph's Italian Ice, and Ralph's Italian Ice is is, is is kind of world known, and it started right down the street from where my parents lived in Staten Island. We walked down there and you get a. Uh, cream ice and, and all kinds of different flavors and, and we were walking back from there um, with, our, with my mango uh, uh, cream ice and there was, uh, there was a drunk man kind of stumbling before us mumbling right he's intoxicated he's taken up with something he's in another world here and on a good in the, in the good sense of that the scriptures are saying in verse 19 be thou ravished be intoxicated always with her love be caught up in her love be caught up in her love. Pour out your love on her in quality. Notice the ideas of delighting, and being intoxicated, rejoicing, but also quantity. He says, at all times, in all ways. In other words, there is not a time in the marriage relationship where you are not committed in faithfulness and devoted to that other spouse. There should never be a time where that exists. Why? Because this is the will of God. This isn't, this isn't uh, Jamie's ideas here. This isn't uh, some ancient author who had some good, 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 um, good tips here for us. This is the very will of God. In fact, in the New Testament it says this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. This is the very will of God. And so don't throw away Eden. You remember that message a few weeks ago, Marriage in Eden. Don't throw away God's design, is what Solomon is saying. He's saying, now that you live in a broken world, because, we're, we're, uh, because we saw marriage in exile, Genesis chapter 3, the fall, a broken world now. Now that you live in a broken world, there is a force that is sucking on each of your marriages that you will have to fight every single day because it is inside of you. And because it is baited outside of you by the influences and by the messages of media and by the woman at work or by the the, the man at work who's paying closer attention to you than your spouse is. Or by the text that you're getting. Or by now the power of the internet. It's so wonderful. It keeps us connected in so many different ways. And I'm so thankful for it on so many different levels because I can keep in touch with childhood friends and, and, and kids that went to elementary school and college and geek and how they're doing. But it can be a double-edged sword too, can't it? Because now they're saying that almost half of marriages that divorce have been caused by some kind of connection on the internet. And so the writer here is saying, don't throw away the privileges of marriage. Don't throw away God's design and eat it. Enjoy it, but enjoy each other, no one else. And God can't say it clear enough or more adamantly than this passage right here does. So verses 20-23 through then basically says, okay, so what are you going to decide to do? What are you going to decide to do? You have in uh, verses uh, chapter five, verses one through 14, the, the description of, of other beckoning voices and temptations. And you have in verses 15 through, uh, through, through 20, uh, the, the one that God has designed you to be with, and the vows, the, 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 the covenant faithfulness He has placed you in. And so, what are you going to do now in this fallen world? In verses 20 through 23, say this. Why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. So, he takes something that is a horizontal thing, your marriage relationship, and he says it is more than a horizontal thing. It is a vertical thing, it is a theological thing, it is a God thing. God sees. The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. What he is saying is this. Number one, by way of application... We are accountable to Yahweh, to the God of the universe, the Creator, the One who has a personal relationship with His creation. We are accountable to Him. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. And that is, a, uh, that is a negative thing because it means He sees our, 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 um, our sin as a holy God. It is also a positive thing because He the Father desires what is best for us. And so first of all, in your marriage relationship, your identity is not bound up with that other person. Your identity is bound up in the Lord. You are accountable to God in faithfulness to Him. It is before God that your vows have been made. It is to the other person that your vows have been made, but it is for the witness of the triune God. You are accountable to Yahweh, to God, the God in Heaven, and He will not look lightly on those who despise something that He has uh, uh, um, instituted and designed so carefully so those thoughts you might be entertaining those images you might be pursuing when you think no one else is involved uh, uh, the, 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 the flirtation uh, of someone despite, despite your spouse the entertaining of that or welcoming of that or, or longing for more of that is not outside of the eyes of the Lord. And He does not hold the guilty unpunished. So we are accountable to Yahweh. You see that in verse 22 and 23, that there, there the, the payment does come. Payday does come. Verse 21 says, the ways... Of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. And then verse 22, talking about those who will follow the path of, of breaking their covenant faithfulness, says this His own iniquities shall take or catch the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. In other words, when we pursue a wrong relationship of impurity, whether single, Or married, but we pursue uh, going outside of boundaries. Whether we're single or married, what we are doing is we are building our own hanging platform and tightening our own noose. That's what verse twenty-two is saying. Your own sin—you will be held with the cords of your own sins—is what he's saying. And what this means is when we choose to drink of bitter poison, it might taste sweet on the tongue, but it goes down bitter, and we are killing ourselves. We are destroying ourselves. In fact, in chapter seven, verses twenty one through twenty seven, he makes this more clear. He says, seven twenty one, with much where there much fair speech, she causeth him to yield, the flattering of her lips she forced him, he goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter. For as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strikes through his liver, as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Hearken now unto me, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways, go not astray in her path, for she hath cast down many wounded, and the carcasses of people who have gone this way are strewn all over America, aren't they? And all over the world. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. You see in verses 23 uh, there, he shall die without instruction. He did not listen to what was told. In the greatness of his folly, in 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 the greatness of his foolishness, he shall go astray. You know why people go down these paths? Because they can only see right here. And they do not look down the corridors of time and how it affects, certainly, their other relationships, but how ultimately it affects the one with whom the Bible says we have to do. The one who we'll give an account of. Lord Byron of the 19th century In England was epitomized as the bad boy of the 19th century. His lifestyle was envied by many. He did whatever he wanted to do. He went and slept and did with whatever he wanted to do and with whomever he wanted to do. And there were many people who secretly envied his lifestyle. And he was in the country of Greece on his 36th birthday. And he was all alone. Kind of like the prodigal son in Luke 15. All alone. All his friends had left him when the money ran out. And here is what he wrote. My days are in the yellow leaf. Thinking of the end of summer when the leaves start to change. My days are in the yellow leaf. The flower and fruits of love are gone. The worm, the canker, and the grief are mine alone. He's all alone and he's dying of venereal disease. And he says, basically, I'm 36 and I'm already old. All I have left is this disease and depression. Where are my drinking buddies? Where are all my companions now when I need them? And that is such a picture of where this lifestyle leads to. We need to make sure that one lesson for the church in this chapter then is to reject, is is the charge to reject the lies that really swell into our culture and seep into our consciousness, many times by the shows we watch. Many times by the pressure, the conversations we have uh, uh, um, that, that seep in. Um, but understand that what is wrong is what is inside of you. And all the temptations there are bringing out what's inside of you, as you if you fall into that. And, and, and the first lie is this, that um, uh, this kind of marriage relationship that, he, that the, the writer of Solomon is talking about... Um, is, is, the, is the point of marriage. That's one of the lies. And when that, if you believe that, when, when that goes or that changes to, to not meet your expectations, then guess what? You're going to try to solve that problem somewhere else, aren't you? And, 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 and so the, this, this myth of romance that plays out in so many, even of the movies that, you, that we watch, that celebrates the magic of love as being something irresistible and if it feels good, do it. Takes Satan's lies and puts it right there and blinds us to the halls of eternity and the impact that we make. There's another lie that floats out in our world and it is this, that self-fulfillment, what makes me happy, what gives me pleasure is the primary goal of human life. And so anything else is secondary in importance. And the teacher here, the preacher in Proverbs, does not condemn joy and fulfillment, does he? He condemns it outside of God's design. He celebrates the pleasures of married love. The third lie is this. That this particular gift in marriage can be enjoyed outside of a lifelong relationship. And it makes a relationship more of an object to be acquired than of a bond between two people. Here in this chapter, it's very clear that the light is affirmed by the chapter, but when enjoyed apart from a relationship of faithfulness, it is treated as something that is dangerous and destructive. And these prominent lies in our culture are ways that Satan will try to bait you in. In fact, in chapter 5 and verse 6, the strange woman herself is deceived. But here's what I want to tell you. That all the things that beckon at you and the the, the ways that that, um, uh, these wrong relationships and this wrong thinking can be... uh, uh, um, uh, you can be susceptible to um, through your, your your snapchats, through your texts, uh, through, through the access that you have through your relationships uh, at work or outside or wherever, however it's going to come, it's going to come. I want to tell you that Jesus is the ultimate living water. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus accepts Fools who have run down this path and have seen the destruction and turn to Him for forgiveness, Jesus accepts them. Jesus accepts them when they lean on Him and His wisdom. And the one who walked down this path as a fool who admits it and faces himself and owns up to it and leaves and goes back home to the Father is not shamed in the village is not uh, beaten down, but he is embraced in Luke 15 as he repents and he is given a home. In his rags, he is given new clothes. Out of sin's poverty, he is given the family signet and ring and wealth. Out of the pity party that that prodigal son had in Luke 15 where he is sitting there with nothing left, But what is the consequences of his sin? The Bible says he came to himself when he says, What have I done? What have I left? And he is given a feast from his repentance. He was on the slave auction of sin, and he is purchased and he is chosen for God's craftsmanship the sentence of death is upon him as we see very clearly in this passage and God will hold him accountable but through Jesus he is given new life he is washed he can be set apart he can be declared righteous by in Jesus by the holy spirit he can be made new by the one who makes all things new and so the invitation from this passage here is not come on do better what are you looking at porn for what are you doing this for? Where are your eyes roaming? What are those thoughts, you are, you know, those fantasies you are imagining? The imitation of this passage is come to the Father in repentance and take the clean white robes of Jesus that He offers and give Him your dirty, stained rags because He already wore those on the cross for you anyways. And find the peace with God that He freely offers. No, that doesn't mean that forgiveness doesn't mean that there will never be any consequences for our, cho- for our choices. Or that uh, uh, there is not the need for additional counseling and discipleship in these areas. But it means that God, on the basis of His perfect Son who took your sin, will choose to see one who is truly a repentant sinner as if they've always been faithful. And God is in the work of rebuilding marriages. God is in the work of taking singles who have, who have dabbled in promiscuity and, and, and making them righteous and pure. And so this morning, may the marriages that are represented here and the future marriages that are represented here with our children and other singles, may they be committed to the joy of obeying Jesus and covenant faithfulness. And may our marriages be a light to the life-changing Gospel of Christ to each other together in this room and to the dry, parched world that is trying to drink out of the sewers, trying to quench His thirst, trying to grope in the desert and drink sand and quench their thirst. May a Gospel... Christ-centered marriage be the water of life that points people to Jesus. There have been in the past couple years more apparent and noticeable. I say that because we never know what's going on behind behind, behind the surface and. Uh. Uh. Of, of our marriages uh, with, within our within our body that make it very clear that this is some this is this is a, this is a, a, a key peer here holding up uh, a good portion of our witnesses of church as the devil likes to knock out he likes to tap away at it's like that game Jenga right where you used to stack the blocks and pull one out he likes to t- take out those ones at the bottom a little bit at a time and make it shaky tonight. I want to go I'm going to look in 1 um, Timothy chapter 5 for us and flesh out what it means to be a strong church if we're going to impact and reach our community it's got to start with our homes it's got to start with our homes
1: because if we have
0: strong marriages we will have strong homes if we have strong marriages and homes individual families we will have a strong household of God his church so we need to pray this morning, and I know there's all kinds of marriages represented here. Uh, I also know that there's potential marriages down the road as well. And this morning, I want to to just invite a couple of you who feel so led to ask the Lord to keep uh, our marriages strong, for our husbands and wives uh, to 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 say no to to temptations and sin, and and for them to say yes to covenant faithfulness and building. Uh, their relationship with the Lord. And I just want to invite uh, just a couple of you this morning who feel led and burdened for this to just uh, stand and pray, uh, and then I will close the, the service uh, with, with, a, with a song of consecration.